Welcome back to the show, everybody. This week is a recap of Christopher's uh, trip out to Arizona, and we also talk about uh, his latest project idea, building a life-sized R2-D2, and all the usual winter in between. back from your vacation so why don't you give us a little recap of all the fun exciting things that you did on your vacation yeah so well i think we we kind of had an episode part way through part way through our trip um but yeah i mean we went uh we were gone for about a month and so we were uh i was with my family in a fifth wheel rv and we basically uh we live in the midwest missouri so we, so I just got to stop you and ask you, mm-hmm. where exactly does the fifth wheel go? Is it like in between the rear two uh, wheels on the oh dear the back axle, or is it on the front <laughs> axle? Or... I've always wondered why it's called a fifth wheel. Well, so it actually doesn't have five wheels. Um, I know that that might be a shocker. So it the, a fifth wheel for clarification, it's. Uh, it's pulled behind a pickup truck, and instead of being on the ball hitch and on the f- back uh, underneath the tailgate, uh, the hitch is actually in the center of the pickup bed. Uh, and the hitch is mounted there, and then the the RV um, attaches to that hitch. And the reason being is so that you can tow and support a lot more weight. Um, we figured out our RV and truck combined weighs uh about 16,000 pounds i think i may have said 16 tons on our last episode that was wrong so it weighs eight tons um but that's still a crazy amount um that is crazy a normal car i think is around a ton yeah so and so we we have a dually it's a ford f350 so it's got two wheels um on each side underneath the pickup bed to support all that weight and uh and so that that's how we can tow all that um did you ever figure out how you change the <laughs> inner tires if it blows do you have to take the outer one off first i guess you no would. but i did are they are they on the same lugs but i or? did pose the question if you blow the inner one you still have the outer one so can you technically drive somewhere like get off the road and drive somewhere to a better spot to change the tire cuz yeah i wondered that if too if you have six wheels and then one goes. You still have five out of six. That's a lot of wheels to get you somewhere. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think you have to take off both tires, though, because uh, you have to take off the outer one first to get to the inner one. So we did have a situation where we changed tires on the RV. I can't remember if I mentioned that in our last episode. No. So at our very first spot, in fact, uh, we... The, the 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 park we stayed at it, some of them are better some are worse but oftentimes they'll have curbs and i don't know why on earth an rv park that's expecting to get huge long rigs driving through these these small loops to the different campsites i don't know why they would put curbs anywhere it just doesn't make sense like but real often, if it's not curbs, it might be lined with rocks, which is a pretty common thing you see in Arizona, lining 
rocks, um, along trails, along the road, along um, like as a kind of a garden bed type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, uh, so the deal was we were trying to pull into our first site. It was a back-end one, so we went past the site and then angled and backed in. As we went past it, the rear wheel scraped on scraped the side, the outer side of the wheel against the curb and uh, left a whole black area on the curb and scraped up the edge of the tire. Uh, So not, not like we got a puncture or anything, but it was one of those things we've never had this before. And the last thing we want is to have a wheel go out on us, especially on the freeway. Uh, That (laughs) that would be bad. Uh, It was actually on the driver's side. I think it was on the driver's side. Okay, uh, maybe I, maybe I don't remember, but either way, either way, um, it would be super unfortunate for that to happen. So uh, we called um, our, uh, I think the manufacturer, and uh, we were still under warranty, and we were able to get a completely free tire replacement, um, even though it was technically our fault, I think, uh, but. Yeah, we got free tire, and so we're like, well, if we can get one for free, we might as well do this, be extra safe, and not risk anything. Um, and, you know, we could have that tire then just looked at later by a professional to see if uh, see if they think it, uh, you know, was safe or not. And um, But it was free tire, so we replaced it, and um, before we got the, the replacement tire, we actually had to use the spare that was came with our rv so that's why we we replaced the tire once and then again uh with the new one so lots of experience changing an rv tire but um no no changing the tire on the on the dually truck though so I, i guess that's a good thing okay uh so yeah so i think we were at uh uh what what's uh what's the park name um the one where we saw the the man get lifted off uh get airlifted um ah uh, what was that place called um it's on the tip of my tongue um it rhymes with pistachio that's how i re- remember the the pronunciation uh picacho uh state park um pretty cool place uh there was there was uh, several hiking trails that went to the top um, that we didn't take um, probably because we saw the person getting airlifted off, uh, but the trail names or descriptions specifically mention uh, how there's like handrails and gloves are recommended and stuff, and it's really crazy steep up at the top if you want to actually climb all the way to the top. So we didn't do as much hiking there, but um, it's a cool place nonetheless. And uh, just kind of a cool shape mountain and uh, neat place to stay. Um, so let's see. After Picacho, um, see, we had we had already been to Lost Dutchman. Um, so after Picacho uh, is when we got our solar panels. So uh, our our hmm. RV did not come with solar. Um, if if you want solar, you have to get it added separately, which is um, 
I don't know if I don't know if most people or most manufacturers offer, and ours didn't. Um, but we had ours just installed by a, a third party company, uh, basically a guy um, who just uh, does this. He was out in the desert at the time. Uh, boondocking is what it's called. Uh, that's where you are essentially camping out in the middle of nowhere, and you have no hookups, so no water. Uh, no sewer, no electricity, and you can use a generator for electricity, but the generator runs on propane, and that's another non-renewable energy source, <laughs> if you will. Uh, oh, it's propane, not uh, not just regular petroleum. Yeah, gas? it runs on propane because um, it's it's <laughs> actually built the the generator we have. Uh, is built into our RV, so you can control oh. it with a push of a button inside, and so it's 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 not like a one that you can roll around. Um, and we have a couple of propane tanks that just strap in the sides of the RV, so it just runs off that. Um, <clears throat> okay, is it uh, quieter then than the the loud gas powered ones that you hear? It's pretty loud but i would say it's uh maybe a little deeper and less um kind of rattly obnoxious sounding mm, okay. uh but it's still it's about as loud as a, a vehicle running um mm, okay uh it's it's not that bad though uh some some rv parks do have generator hours so you can't run it like all day and all night to yeah because it, it would disturb people but anyway, so the, the generator is nice to have if you need a top off, if you've had a cloudy day, uh, or just uh, the you weren't in a good position to catch all the sun to fill your batteries. So, uh, but we got the solar, I got got that installed. Uh, I don't know, the, I don't remember the guy's name of his uh, company. Oh, it was it was Power Up Solar. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a there's a little plug if you want some solar panels <laughs> installed on your RV. So, do you know like any of the specs on the uh, on the solar panels, and like um, you know how what one day's worth of charge will last you? So, we got fifteen hundred watts of solar panels. Uh, that's that's um, we could we have room that we got one half of our roof covered in them, so there's room for another fifteen hundred watts. Now, okay. so we're told that watts is the best way to measure everything. Because we have some, we have an inverter on our in our RV. Because some things in the RV run on DC, some things run on AC. Uh, all the mm-hmm. we have like your standard house outlet uh, in several places. Uh, some of the appliances need to run on AC, so th- those would be uh, things that go through the inverter. Uh, but we also have things like the lights um, that are built into the RV, the water pump, probably. Um, can't think what else. Um, mostly those. Uh, those would be off DC because there's no point to go through the inverter to uh, get the house current. So, so, yeah. and you have 12 volts DC, and you would multiply that times amps and get watts. Um, but with house current, it, if you multiply that, you still get you can still get watts. So that's why they recommend using watts. Um, so as far as how long we can last, 
it depends a lot. It depends a lot on how much you're drawing. And so we actually have the system actually connects to an app on your phone. There's a screen in the RV on the wall um, amidst all the other control panels. But you can also get an app on your phone to monitor everything, and it will show you. It might take a few minutes to settle after you change your draw, but it will show you the amount of watts you're currently drawing and how many how much charge you have in your batteries, um, how much power you're getting from the sun, and it will also give you a prediction as to when you will run out of power, which is pretty awesome. Okay. So it really depends how much you're using. So with our 1,500 watts of solar panels, if we were to use um, some really high wattage things like air conditioners... If we had try to have like we have three AC units uh, in the roofs, yes, it's a pretty long RV. Um, mm. If we were trying to run those all day long, there's there's no way we could could run that. So uh, yeah. you, in that case, you'd want to look at getting another uh, 1500 watts to fill up the other half of the roof. Uh, so, it, it like I said, it depends on the load. The air conditioners are a lot. Uh, the microwave, short term, but that would be a lot. And it really kind of depends, too. Uh, the refrigerator, thankfully, isn't much. It, uh, Even though it's constantly on, although it might not be constantly cooling. Um, but that that's not a, not a lot. We can also use... Uh, we try to use things like the propane stove for cooking and the uh, propane heater. Um which mm. you'd think we don't want to use those because we can't renew our propane, but it's nice to save the electricity for the things we actually need the electricity for. So uh, just various things like charging devices, uh, the TV, uh, uh, maybe running an electric blanket at night. So you just have personalized, localized heat source, uh, the water pump, yeah. things like that. So it depends on the draw. We made it, uh, our first night, we made it through the night. We had 100% when the sun went down. We came out the next morning with 69%. So, And we were being very cautious with our usage. Uh, so that was really good. Wow. And I feel like, I want to say the worst we, worst, but like the most we used uh, from sundown to the next morning uh, we're down to like around 50%. So we've been trying to use it sparingly to still, you know, get an, get an idea of uh, what it's like. But we've done fine so far. And uh, it's really cool. So I mentioned we, we got this from a guy who's just who was out boondocking in the desert. It's really neat when you're uh, when you're out there. You'll see. So this is on BLM land. Okay. So this is... Um, Bureau of Land yes, Management? not Black Lives Matter, because okay. I can't get that out of my head now. <laughs> but it's free. It's government land, so it's free to stay there. The only rules are that you can't stay in the exact same spot for more than 14 days. After that, you have to move somewhere that is 25 miles away. They don't... Hmm. I don't know how strictly that's monitored, but they don't want people just staying there forever. Uh yeah. 
But it's funny because when you're out there, and these are just popular areas of the desert that people like to go. So you'll see just RVs sprinkled throughout the landscape. But real often, it's not just single RVs. You'll see these little little groups of travelers that are just grouped together. And the, the person that installed, installed our solar, um, he travels with uh, his... He's got, like, a couple of friends, and he's got... Uh, a son which now has his own RV rig and it's kind of neat that people just meet up and travel in groups and you can go anywhere you want in the desert and make make your own spot and call it your own and it's just like (laughs) it's pretty cool the first time we did it we drove just a couple hundred yards away from uh, the person who installed our solar we just wanted to spend the night, make sure everything worked well uh, before we left. And uh, it was so strange just saying like, hey, this looks like a good spot. Let's pull off here. Because every other place we had stayed at was a specific site with a reservation and a spot we had to go to. And Is that something specific to Arizona or are there a lot of places like that at West? Because I know there really aren't any places like that in wisconsin but uh it's pretty heavily populated here compared to out there so well yeah i mean i would say the uh, i don't know to what where all the blm land is i I mean i would assume a lot of it's out west just because nobody lives out there (laughs) and uh i i know it's common in arizona because people like to go there in the winter where it's warm and also arizona is fairly unpopulated uh, but I would assume it's not limited to Arizona. Okay. But it's, I mean, it's really cool. It is, uh, it's, you can position your RV any way you want. So you have no view of anybody, uh, or at least minimal view. I mean, mm-hmm. it's flat, so you can see pretty far. And it's surprisingly where we were, uh, there were, was actually no cactus. So um, that was one concern I think we had was like, when driving and picking our own spot like what kind of stuff could you run over and we have like bikes too that we were out riding and we didn't want to run over cactus but there was there was none there so i guess that was a plus so after we left the location where we got our solar we drove to our very first like our own boondocking site like away from everybody and it was a couple hours away. We went to Kofa National Wildlife Refuge, and okay. uh, it we stopped. So we stopped at the end of the road and pulled out our our e bikes, which I, I think I mentioned those on the last episode. So we got on those, and the road is pretty bumpy. It's like bumpy and kind of washboardy, uh, but we pulled out the bikes. And my brother and I rode down the road to go look for our own spot uh, because there's no reservations here, but there are empty spots that you can take that are, when I say spots, they're just kind of flatter areas with no brush that make good camping sites and people obviously stay in. So we went, we went ahead and just picked out our, our favorite location and we, we tried to pick one near some big saguaro cactus and uh, we weren't actually in the wildlife refuge. Uh, I don't think you can go in there, uh, or at least park your RV in there. And uh, hmm. 
but we we were pretty close to it, about a mile or two from the entrance, and uh, we just we just found a spot, and we're like, you know, this looks good. Let's let's call it ours. And so we we parked there, and we spent uh, three or four days there. No, three. It was three days. Uh, I remember because I was taking photos of the night sky that night and one of the nights was cloudy and so I only had two nights and I was kind of bummed out that I didn't have more time because Kofa National Wildlife Refuge, if you go on a dark sky map, it it doesn't even register color. Um, like it, the It's got a range. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll show you like the bright red and yellow and green splotchy areas showing you where the light pollution is. Like there is nothing there. Uh-huh. It was so dark. And and I was out there, I took photos, uh I have a like a star tracker. Also mentioned that in a previous episode. Uh that I that I used to take some deep sky photos of like nebula and galaxies and stuff. Yeah, those were pretty amazing when you showed them to me. We should uh, we should start like a, a page for the <laughs> podcast so the listeners can see them. We can we can post photos and content we discuss on the show. That's a good idea. Yeah. So uh, get on that. Yeah. Well, we we had the Facebook page, which would have been a perfect outlet, but I guess Facebook yeah. uh, Facebook doesn't like us. So Facebook hates us. Yeah. Well. Who knows? Maybe we'll come back in 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 the next episode and have a new new uh, place for all the listeners to go follow. Sure. Yes, we. You heard it here. Christopher's going to create a page. Whoa, somewhere. whoa! I I said we might. Okay. <laughs> Carry on with your story, because we both know that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Oh yeah, that's what this show is all about. Well, so uh yep, I got some cool night photos. Uh I got <laughs> got some neat ones of our RV under the stars, which I had been wanting to do. Uh I think those turned out pretty good. Um it's always night photos are a challenge, that's for sure. And uh I I think I would have probably liked them a bit better if I could have figured out a way to light up the RV a little better. Uh, but I I, th- I think they, they, they turned out well enough that I'm, I'm happy with them. And uh, uh, You mean you had the RV in the background? or I ha- Yeah, so I had, I took a photo of the RV I had at the bottom of the frame and then the night sky above it. And uh, okay. I was, yeah, I, and I was wanting to light up the RV so that it was not just a black silhouette. But I, I, I uh-huh. think it turned out okay. You can still see some detail on the RV. But uh-huh. yeah, and then I also had my Star Tracker running that. One of those, two of those nights. Uh, one of them was a narrow shot of the Orion and Horsehead Nebula. And then the the next night I did a wide field shot of actually the same thing, but trying to capture Barnard's loop. I'm pronouncing that correctly, which kind of goes around the or those two nebula um, in the constellation Orion. Yeah, so is that just a gas cloud, or what is it? Because whenever I've seen that, I always thought it was just a lens flare or some kind of artifact from the yeah, lens. Yeah, so that yeah, that's just another uh, hydrogen alpha uh, emission nebula. 
so it's emitting okay. it's emitting gas uh red colored um oh so now were you taking this with your modified yes. camera? yes and, okay. and yes i i want to say again i mean it's modified now so I, I don't i can't compare it uh but i fully believe that making that modification uh has really really been the the uh biggest improvement to capturing a lot of this red red galaxy light or i'm sorry not galaxy you should nebula, have red nebula light you should have uh mounted both of your dslrs to the tracker and uh, taken some comparison photos. i thought about that but i also didn't want to tie both of my cameras down i wanted one where i could go around and photograph yeah. stuff but it's okay uh <laughs> i have believe that my family has many more trips planned and so i'm sure i'll get more opportunities for some nice dark skies so i'm looking forward to that nice so yeah so uh that was our our stay at kofa and <laughs> the town so the town the closest town is about 15 minutes away quartzsite arizona it is I believe it's the most popular place in the United States for our viewers to go. Uh, I was told that. Hmm. I could be wrong, but that's how that's how facts go when they're uh, told by word of mouth. So <laughs> it was an interesting experience going into this town. Uh, we believe there was an RV show going on, uh, but driving into the town, there's... <laughs> it's only uh until you drive through most of the town do you get to like a small portion of it that has like a gas station and a mcdonald's and a couple stores Mm. that look like you know civilization right the rest of the town Mm -hmm. there's rvs sprinkled everywhere there's rv uh uh, what are they? Not, I guess parks you could say, but they're just like parking lots with electricity, basically hookups. Uh, there's there uh-huh. was a laundromat that was inside an old RV. There, there, yeah. What? There was there were tents everywhere because uh, we think the RV show was going on, and it the entire it it was weird. It was kind of like a hippie town, like. Mm. It's it's hard to describe, but it was uh, definitely one of the most unique towns I've ever been to, and uh, it it's it was very different from all the other places we we had stayed with our RV before. Uh, let's just say that. But uh, we we had to go there to uh, grab some propane and also grab. A couple wrenches. We didn't have the right sizes with us. Uh, but uh, what else? I think that was all. I think that was the only reason um, maybe going to town there. That was our last place we stayed. Um, from there out, we drove home, which we had gone all the way out to California. And uh, I mentioned we were, we came from Missouri. That's where we live. And it was about 
24 hours of driving to get to our first site, and it was probably, I think it was more, we had two two eight-hour days, and then two five-hour days, I think, so it was a little more, mm-hmm. uh, but it was interesting, at some point we had to winterize, uh, because it was freezing temperatures back home, uh, we just got home, what, let's see. We got home on Sunday night, the 17th. Yeah. Um, we, we actually just had a snowstorm here in Missouri a few days before. But thankfully, the snow melted wow. so that we could see our driveway <laughs> when we backed our RV in, which was mm. fun. <laughs> did, you try, did you try backing it up at all? No. In fact, none of us did. We missed a couple great opportunities to practice uh, out in the desert, so we're kind of bummed that we missed the opportunity, but uh, definitely not going to be backing into our driveway anytime soon. It's our second, <laughs> no, no, third, third time backing in total into our driveway, and let me tell you, it's not easy. It's hard. It's a, it's quite a challenge. Uh Despite getting lots of experience out on the road, it's still uh, it just presents its own challenges. Uh, every site really has its own challenges, uh, but you know our driveway's gravel. It's it's not super wide, and it's got it's it's got like a culvert running underneath, so you can't go off the edge. All kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Also, there's always the pressure of traffic on the road, so mm-hmm. at some point, if there's too many cars weighing, you just have to pull straight ahead and let them pass and then try backing up again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's challenging if, if you're not like a truck driver and have gone to truck driving school or something. I mean, it's, it's obviously completely different than, uh, backing just a small trailer. Anyways. <clears throat> so we had to drive home and, uh, winterize before we drove home. So we winterized at a place about 16 hours, I think, uh, away from home down south uh, before we got to freezing temperature. So winterizing, basically, you have to get all the water out of your lines and then replace them with antifreeze. Uh, Preferably (laughs) non-toxic antifreeze, since you will be drinking from those lines again at some point. And... So we drained all our water tanks, and I'm so well. I'm sorry, is one fresh water tank, uh, but we also drained the gray water tanks, which is where like sink water, shower water goes. Uh, We also drained our black tank uh, and gave that a nice thorough rinse on the inside. But then we have to fill it with antifreeze, and we had a problem where. Uh, the antifreeze wasn't getting sucked up by our pump. And we tried and tried and tried. Couldn't get it to work. It had worked for like a minute at the start, and then it wouldn't work. And we thought we had completely ruined everything and that there was like air in the pump, and now there was no more pressure. And we called a couple different numbers. We called uh, the folks where we bought our RV from. We called the manufacturer themselves. Basically, no help. They were just like, uh, you just got to be patient and give it time. And we were patient. We gave it time. So much time that we were uh, past our 
our our time to leave our our, our campsite and we're like this is mm. unfortunate because now we have to start heading home to where it's it's below freezing because it wouldn't be below freezing at our next campsite so we had to get something to work we packed up and left and just said we'd do it at the next campsite we tried again at the next campsite it actually did work we got fully fully winterized uh but the pump did not did not work we had to basically spoon feed the pump by holding the hose upright and making a makeshift funnel out of paper and pouring the, the antifreeze down the tube such that it would be gravity fed into the pump and uh, after a decent amount of pouring it finally kicked in and started again so Maybe there was just air in the pump, and it just somehow wasn't pressurizing so that it would actually start pumping. Uh, we don't really know, but it was super finicky. And uh, hmm. it's kind of a bit of a on a, a time crunch there because it was going to freeze that night, and we need to finish winterizing. Well, oh, and, and, and I should mention one other interesting fact about that campsite that we happened to stay at. It was on Indian land. Uh, in fact, it was right across from a, an Indian-owned and operated casino. Well, the casino was shut down because of the COVID uh, mm. pandemic. And also, the campsite was shut down as well. And uh, we theorizing um, maybe it was shut down because of, you know... the. Uh, maybe they don't have access to as good health insurance as Americans do, and so they just can't afford the risk, even though they're losing tons of money because the casino is still there, and you have to pay all the fees to keep you know keep that up and going. Well, anyways, uh, turns out they weren't accepting anybody to the campground except healthcare workers or first responders. Well, it just so happens that my dad works uh for uh hospitals he doesn't work as a a frontline worker but he he works in like the office environment right well so when he called on the phone uh he he kind of mentioned that offhand because they had told him initially sorry we're only taking uh healthcare workers mentioned that offhand and they were they were like all over it they snatched him up and uh because <laughs> they were it was like they weren't allowed to take anybody unless they were a healthcare worker, but we fit the f- qualification, so they were excited to have our our uh, us as a customer, right? So when we got mm-hmm. there, we got there. It was like six thirty at night, dark out. There was one lone security guard that was just patrolling the casino area, I guess, and uh, we called a phone number that. Uh, the, that uh, the person on the phone number contacted the security guard that was out, and the security guard came over and let us in. Uh, poor guy looked like he was mostly asleep, but he let us in, got us in through the gate, and the park was just deserted. There was one other RV in this entire park, and it was a big, big, nice RV park with lots of spaces, and... Our our restrooms, our bathrooms in the RV were not available because we had winterized. So we had to park near the ones on the premises there. And they were actually really nice bathrooms. They were It was cold out, but they were, like, 
well heated. It was toasty warm in there, just clean, well kept, uh, showers and stuff, uh, which was super nice. But we basically had the entire park to ourselves, and it was just super weird feeling because it was like deserted and abandoned. And uh, but that was kind of uh, nice, I guess, nice for a change. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, that was our last site before home, and we drove home, and it was snowing when we got home, it felt like we were driving up to Wisconsin to visit y'all, and uh, it was quite a change from our sunny Arizona weather and big sky country, and uh, yeah. That was that was our our trip. We backed into the driveway. Took a little while, but we got in. No complications. We got the RV parked, and uh, brought all brought all our possessions back into our original home, and uh, that that concluded our first maiden voyage of our RV. Nice. Yeah. It was uh it was a good time. Well, I'm glad everything went well. Um I unfortunately don't have as exciting stories. Um it finally got down to cynical digits here, which is uh, unusual for Wisconsin uh, to take so long to get this cold. But um other than that, yeah, I got uh, I got nothing. I've been uh just slowly ordering bits and pieces from my lathe, the, the few things that I need. Nice. Um, I finally got a uh, tool post for it, and I have some uh, high-speed steel that I can make uh, cutting tools out of, so hopefully do that soon. Um, got a, uh, a test gauge uh, for measuring small amounts and variations and stuff. It'll measure down to, like, I don't know, like five tenths of a thousandth of an inch, I oh, think. Wow. Um, so yeah, yeah, real, real tiny. Um, got a uh, a drill truck for the tailstock, so I can drill stuff uh, while turning it. Um, ordered a uh, engine for it, or um, sorry, not an engine. It's it's called an engine lathe. Um, back in the days when there used to be one engine that ran the entire shop there was just uh giant um shafts that would run through the shops and then they would run all their equipment off of that one that's shaft. awesome so that's why it's called an engine and yeah <laughs> um that. that's why it's called an engine lathe but uh so i got a motor for it an electric motor it's got a three-phase motor at the moment and so i had to get a, a two-phase for it because i don't have three-phase electricity and it was uh, going to cost just as much to get a, a new motor as it would to get uh, a phase converter to convert my single-phase 240 to three-phase. So I just ordered a two-horsepower motor. It originally had a three-quarter horse, so this is going to be quite a bit more than it originally had. So I won't have to worry about it ever bogging down on nice. me. Um, other than that, I haven't been doing a whole lot. Um I uh, recently started watching The Mandalorian, the okay. uh, the Disney Star Wars uh-huh. show, and I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. Never really have been. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's Lord of the Rings for me, man. Um, okay. I, I enjoy okay. the originals, but uh, I'm not a huge, huge fan. Um, 
But I've heard so many people talking about how good this show is. I started watching that, and uh, I'm hooked, man. It's a good show. Really? Really, really, uh, really great characters. Just absolutely superb acting. Mm. Um, I think I'm... I just started into season two, and I think there's only two seasons, so I'm about to run out of episodes here. Man. So... Hopefully, hopefully they get uh, get on season three real, <laughs> real shortly. Um, other than that, yeah, I haven't really been doing much. You uh, sent me an email though, saying that you were thinking about starting uh, building a cool new project that you just have to tell everybody about. Before you do that, though. Um, you were talking about um, aluminum casting. So how's that been going for you? Yeah, well, I've just been like so hyped up and have so much pent-up energy from wanting to work on my projects, but we've been off traveling around the world, or I'm sorry, the United mm. States. Uh, sometimes feels like <laughs> the world. <laughs> but I haven't had access to my shop or been able to work on my projects, so I've just been so excited to get back to those. But, uh, yeah, so I think we've mentioned my crossbow project, my medieval crossbow that I've been working on. So... I got got back to that. The wooden stock is basically done. Uh, oh, you know, see, this is another thing. If we can, if we can have a page where we can post photos from our our EW episodes, this is perfect. The fans want to see our projects. They want to see what we're making. I think this would be perfect. All right. Well, get right on that, <laughs> and uh, hopefully next week uh, we can announce uh, our our page. I'm sorry, fans, in advance. You know this isn't happening. If, however, someone is out there that would like to volunteer to make this for us, we're just far too busy <laughs> over here with our hobby projects. <clears throat> yes, as I just demonstrated by the fact that I didn't have much to talk about <laughs> instead I started watching a TV show. Anyways. Anyways. So, yes. So, uh, the wooden stock to my, my crossbow is done. Uh, or Well, it, it's mostly done. It, it needs to be finished, but the shape is all done. Uh, all the cuts are done, and the so when I, I and I got the the crossbow prod, which are uh, limbs off an old compound bow that you sent me, and uh, mm-hmm. I will be slightly reshaping those and uh, probably repainting those or, or covering them in a way uh, to kind of fit the aesthetic of my medieval crossbow. And so I am I am basically to the point where I'm I'm ready to cast uh, my aluminum pieces. And I mentioned this before as well that this is more of a, a, a movie prop style crossbow. It's not intended to be super functional. So I'm using aluminum because that's what I have access to uh, instead of steel. So I am making the, the socket and the nut and the trigger and the stirrup all out of aluminum. Uh, and so in preparation for making those, uh, I tried doing some casting today. Because uh, I'm hoping tomorrow on the weekend I'll be able to spend some time trying to, trying to finish this project up before school is like fully back in swing for me and I have tons of assignments and whatnot. So I'm trying to finish this up. And I'm hoping to do a lot of casting tomorrow. I did some casting this evening to make sure my furnace was all working well. Uh, it is, although the the lid has suffered several cracks. And... Uh, and uh, kind of continues to fall apart, but at least the lid isn't super important. Uh, the is this the one that you built uh, several yep, years ago? It's still kicking. The it's the nice. it's the mini metal foundry from Grant Thompson. If anyone's 
interested. He he came out with a, a revision, a new and improved one, after he he got so many views. But uh, I have the original. So, yeah, so I tried some casting tonight. Uh, there's several different kinds of casting you can do. So, there's the Lost Foam casting, which actually Grant Thompson in the King of Random shows uh, in, his, in his video. That's Lost Foam casting, where you create your mold, uh, your, your shape, your object out of foam, and then you bury it in sand. You pour molten aluminum into the sand. It fills the the styrofoam. It, the styrofoam basically vaporizes, and you're left with the actual aluminum shape. Lots of things can go wrong with that. The sand can cave in. Uh, the the mold might, or I'm sorry, the the object might not be. Uh, what's the word? Depending on the styrofoam you use, you might actually cast the texture the outward texture of the styrofoam so like if you're matching the expanded polystyrene i believe is what it's called hmm. like what you see on like foam coolers you'll actually cast the, the pattern of the styrofoam so it's uh, it's not not bad if you plan to f- try to sand it and finish it but uh that is something to be aware of there's other methods there's a lost wax casting a lost pla casting these kinds of methods you actually uh, bury your object in plaster and then uh, essentially cook it and melt out the wax or the PLA plastic uh, until you're left with just a hollow uh, hollow mold in the plaster and then you can pour aluminum into the, the empty cavity. So there's that option. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the green sand option, which I'm looking at next. Uh, which is green sand is kind of a special formula of sand. It's kind of sticky and uh, it's finer. Uh, but basically, you create two halves of a mold and you pack it in real tight around your object, take it apart, put them back together without the object, and then you pour aluminum fills the empty space. There's your final product. So that's the method I'm looking at now. Um, I suppose I should explain why I'm looking at that. I first tried the Lost Foam Casting tonight, which I thought I would have success with. However, turns out that for my all my, my shapes that I tried casting, I was trying to cast a stirrup on the front of my crossbow. And it turns out the I had used hot glue for some of the connections, the foam, foam connections connecting the pieces uh, in my shape together. I had heard that the hot glue shouldn't be a problem and that the molten aluminum would go right past it and kind of vaporize it along with the rest of the foam. Thought it would be fine. Apparently it wasn't. Both times I tried pouring, the aluminum stopped at the joint, uh, the glue joint, and hmm. wouldn't go past it. Uh, was super bummed out because it, it kind of took a while uh, to get the aluminum all melted. But... It definitely wasn't that the aluminum wasn't hot enough. The second time, I let it get very, very uh, hot. I let it sit there for several minutes after it had fully melted. Uh, it even took a while before it it, it solidified um, in my mold because I could see on top of my sprue, I could see that it was still kind of a, a, a puddle there. Um, so that didn't work. Uh, 
at this point, I'm thinking I want to try this green sand method. My brother has a 3D printer, uh, which is also nice. That gives me an alternative to try the lost PLA method, the PLA being the plastic the 3D printer uses. But I want to try, the, I want to try green sand casting with a 3D printed shape. Uh, so my brother's pretty good with CAD, and he made, a, uh, made my stirrup up in CAD for me. And we're 3D printing that right now, in fact. And I'll be able to use that as my impression in the green sand, create the two halves, and then try pouring. And hopefully everything should work this time. There'll be no foam to uh, vaporize. Uh, it would just be filling the empty space. So hmm. that's what I'm going to try tomorrow. And uh, hopefully it'll go better. And uh, if so, I'll, I'll try to cast the all the parts I need. In fact, the trigger, the stirrup, the nut socket, and those will be all the aluminum parts I need, all the metal parts uh, for the crossbow. And then I'll just be left with kind of figuring out how I want to attach the the two limbs together to form my prod. And I think I'll probably sand off. Uh, it looked like. Uh, the limbs um, might not have originally been the camo paint. Do you know? Uh, did you paint those? Uh, yeah. I, so the uh, limbs came off of an old hunting mm-hmm. crossbow, like a really old one, uh, probably from like the 60s, <laughs> I would guess. Um, hey, the, the older it I is, it the closer came... it is to actual medieval times. So it's more authentic that way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think it came with a kind of camo coating on it, but, uh, yeah, I did paint it, uh, additional. Camo okay. Yeah. It. I'm just, I'm thinking I should probably try to sand off some of that paint before I give it a coat of black. Yeah. I'm thinking I'll just go with black and, you know, it's obviously meant to look like an iron prod, but, uh, I'll just paint it black and roll with that. And that's really yeah, and it's got the the fiberglass on both sides of it, so really the edges are the only thing that would need to be painted. I mean, you probably want to paint the whole thing just for consistency, but uh, it they are already the, the fiberglass is already black. Although I'm thinking probably just for the sake of being able to bend it, you may want to thin them down quite a bit before you actually yes, use them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, I need to think about that as well. Kind of haven't gotten there because I'm focused on the aluminum casting still, but. So that's my plan. We'll try to do as much on that tomorrow as I can, and uh, I guess Sunday as well. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully that project will roll along because I have another exciting project coming up that I want to make, but I'm determined not to let this this crossbow project uh, die off where it is because I, I don't want to start projects and not complete them unless I have something major blocking me. Uh, I really want to finish this one, but I also want to talk about my new project. Should I talk about my new my new project right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So there's this guy. He's got a YouTube channel called "I Like to Make Stuff," and Bob Claggett is his name. Have we talked about him before? I only say that because it's a. I don't think you know, we've talked I, about him before, but I I, I think Claggett is fun to it say. It is so. fun. Bob and Claggett. I feel pretty bad because I I butchered his name earlier uh, when I was telling talking to my mom and 
I said Bob Cratchit, but I knew it was completely wrong, and I couldn't think of anything <laughs> but Scrooge. So, Bob Claggett. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel. Remember when we used to plug YouTube channels and other, other stuff, other content at the end of our podcast? You know, I think we should yeah, do it again. We, we still do that, like, every five and episodes. I'm, I'm plugging this channel here now. I know you probably found it before me. And my brother said he's been watching it too. So I'm just like way behind the times of like watching all his videos. But I was scrolling through his amazing catalog of videos earlier and found he's got a whole series playlist uh, on making a full life-size, full-scale R2-D2 replica. And it just looks awesome, Okay. I understand that my podcast recording partner here is not a huge Star Wars fan. He's into the Lord of the Rings. That's fine. But I I like my Star Wars, okay? So, therefore, I will be making, as my next project, attempting to make a full-scale working R2-D2 replica. Hey, I think that would be super cool. And it's... I'm really excited because it, it just... If you look in the video, it looks totally awesome. Like, it, it, it looks like the real deal, right? And I'm also taking a uh, actually taking a class on microcontrollers this spring at college, uh, which I think will be pretty interesting. Uh, we're actually going to be doing working around with some microcontrollers. Uh, I've done some stuff in the past with Arduinos, but uh, I think this will be cool and helpful because at the end, I definitely want to uh, add some functionality to it so that it can actually do things like turn its head and drive around. Um, but obviously, uh, the important thing is actually building the the body, really. Uh, I took a look at some of his videos that he has. Uh, he mentioned that you could build the entire thing, thing out of 3D printed parts if you wanted to, which is awesome. I love that about 3D printers, that they expand, you know, give you such an opportunity uh, at making things that you might not have been able to before. Uh, and my brother has a 3D printer, uh, but I don't plan to make the entire thing out of 3D printed parts. We have uh, sheets of aircraft-grade plywood, is what it's called. It's very thin plywood. It's about 5 millimeters thick, and it is, I want to say it's 10-ply, which is crazy to think about. Uh, it's not like... It's definitely not your average walk into Home Depot, go to the plywood section, grab some plywood. This stuff is, it's very, very, uh, you know, it's high quality packed, um, high ply. I believe it's 10 ply, like I said. Um, but it's, it's very sturdy and uh, we actually have it because... A long time ago, I used to have a little business making boomerangs with my dad, which is pretty awesome. And we have leftovers. So I'm thinking that'll be a perfect material to make the body and legs out of. Uh, I saw in um, the series that he was making his out of uh, with plastic, uh, sheet plastic. Uh, for all the parts, and it's, you might look at R2-D2 and not realize, you know, how, it, it might seem weird to be building it out of, like, thin plywood, but the entire frame 
can be made as like a kind of a skeleton and then you wrap it in I think he used aluminum sheets and I haven't really gotten there yet but I'm sure I'll find uh, something to wrap it in but I'll be using the plywood for the frame and I think that'll be just perfect because it seems like the right thickness and everything and I'm really excited about that the head the dome is my only concern because I have no clue what I'm going to use for the dome I could possibly 3D print it all. That seems like a lot to 3D print. Hey, uh, what's uh, what's the diameter of your R2-D2? Don't know. I haven't done enough research yet. Because um, I got my lathe, but uh, it's only got a 10-inch swing. So Ooh. if you're doing under 10 inches, I'm... I could I could probably turn something for you. But uh, I think uh, R2-D2 is a bit bit larger than 10 inches. That would be pretty awesome if you could... It, could turn an r2d2 dome head that would be cool but i'm afraid it's a little larger than 10 inches if i had to guess what would that be like uh man i would say close to like 20 inches i feel like it's pretty big yeah yeah i think so and i don't know how deep of a star wars fan you are but uh i i'm pretty convinced that r2d2 is the hero of those movies at least the the originals and in the prequels which i didn't like the prequels but uh, r2d2 is the hero he's the one that always shows up and saves the day he's the one that can always hack into the computer system and open the doors that they need i'm i wouldn't say i'm i'm like i'm not one of those crazy fanatics you know if you know what i mean the ones that have their their walls lined with uh you know toys and and various art and models and stuff but i do definitely enjoy it uh so yes i'm happy to be building the (laughs) the hero despite it being a robot uh but yes so that is my upcoming project i feel like i can take it on because i i think i have everything that I, i can uh that i need and I think it sounds like a super fun project. So it's going to take a while. Yeah. It's going to take quite a while. But, um, yeah, I'm ready for it. I think for one of your early projects um, with uh, aluminum casting, um, you should try casting a blaster or something from Star Wars or like a lightsaber handle or something. You know, I thought about that. Uh, but then I was thinking, well, do I want to cast make one cast it in one solid piece or would it be cooler if i cast individual pieces and then assemble it so it's like a little more real ish like that but maybe a lightsaber handle would be a pretty cool one to cast because i think that could turn out well as if i cast it as one solid piece Mm -hmm. um yeah that that's a that's a cool idea we'll see though i i don't know i'm gonna have to start I'm going to have to start cutting up this aluminum uh, thing I got from the thrift store. I forget. You said that's a turkey uh, pan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, your pan for cooking turkeys or chickens or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. so a big old chunk of aluminum there. Going to have to figure out how to cut that up. So I went through probably six pounds of aluminum today. Because I definitely put in more than I need in my crucible. Which, by the way, my graphite crucible is holding up splendidly. I love it. 
and I put in more than I needed intentionally because I didn't want to run out. Uh, that's just a fear of mine not being able to finish pouring a mold because I didn't, I didn't melt enough. So now it's just, it's kind of, uh, it's in very non-uniform shapes. So now I have to like chop it up before I can melt it down again. And it doesn't fit into the crucible nicely. So it's kind of unfortunate, but I'll deal with that tomorrow. How much how much aluminum can you fit into your uh, crucible? Oh, I don't know. Uh, if you imagine like a muffin or a cupcake, uh, like an average size one, oh, I would say three to four. Probably four. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd say four. Um and that's to that's to like a good height, so it's not like overflowing kind of full, but uh, fills it up a mm-hmm. decent way. It's interesting. I was observing <clears throat> this afternoon when I was melting that. Uh, so I I've just a like a poor man's charcoal foundry. It doesn't use propane. So I was observing how you have you really have to make sure there are enough holes under the crucible to actually heat the bottom because there was a point where the coals below had basically burned up i've got a a blower blowing through a pipe into the bottom of the the foundry at full speed the entire time i'm I'm trying to heat this thing up and it is is roaring in there like a jet engine right but Mm -hmm. but I think it heated up, or I think it burned up all the coals at the bottom. So there are coals on the sides, and so at some point near the near the near the molten point, the top was molten, but the bottom was starting to cool off because the the coals were gone, and the, so the top was like molten. But I start I was sticking my my rod down to the bottom and I could feel like hard firm aluminum that that wasn't molten and it would not melt and uh, hmm. I realized I had no more heat down there it was all on the side so I, I picked it up and had to like shovel coals down there and then put more on the sides to 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 get it to hmm. fully melt so I don't know it's uh every, every day is a learning experience so it's, that's prob- getting smarter every day <laughs> that's right I was going to say that's probably some Einstein quote, a, quote about like failures or something so just I'm just getting smart every day that's right alrighty um, so what was your recommendation um, I like to make stuff I like to make stuff check it out he's got it's, 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 it's such a cool channel because it's not it's not just woodworking like there was even I saw like a what I would assume is probably a relatively simple project that most people could do was make a leather wallet. I mean, that's kind of awesome if you want to make your own mm-hmm. wallet. Uh, so, and there's, mm-hmm. there was one of him making a cl- indoor climbing wall. So he's got just a huge variety of videos. I think he's a pretty awesome guy makes high quality content. Totally check him out. He's a huge star Wars fan too. So yeah, I, uh, I have, that is I have definitely <laughs> not the first star Wars themed uh, thing that he's made. Uh, my recommendation is going to be The Mandalorian. Even if you're not into Star Wars, check it out. Pretty good stories, good characters, 
and uh, the baby Yoda that you keep seeing memes floating around the internet of uh, is uh, more than adorable. It, it, so it uh, lives up it to the meme, the meme loving hype. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I didn't think I was gonna like it. I thought it was kind of silly that they had created this character, but uh, it's uh, totes adorbs, as they would say. <laughs> <laughs> nice, as the as the kids would say nice. these days. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll talk at you again uh, next week after Christopher has created our uh, social media page somewhere on the interwebs. (laughs) Bye Bye now.